you today and glad you're here and uh, if you've come expecting a uh, blessing from the Lord and uh, let me mention too to you, uh, you know, we've got uh, five services of revival uh, coming up and if you um, would like to sing a special uh, we would like to hear you sing that special you can let Seth know uh, don't all bombard them at one time. Um, but also, if nobody volunteers, Seth has the authority to draft. And uh, we don't want to have to institute a draft. So uh, if you uh, are willing, maybe uh, you'd like to pull a group together. Maybe uh, you'd like to sing the specials as a group, except for Bill. Uh, don't let Bill on the program. So. <laughs> Uh, hey, you make a joyful noise to the Lord anyway, and uh, we have a, uh, what's that called when they get up unrehearsed and have a, uh, yeah, Adley, uh, type, improv type uh, quartet with the men one night or something, uh, so, uh, but do do make plans to be here every night and um be praying for the Lord to speak to you and to our church uh, through those services. This morning, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Philemon. It's a short little, just 25-verse letter tucked into the Pauline epistles. Um, In the title of this morning's message, Grace and the Comeback Kid. You know, I'm thankful for God's grace, and I hope you are too. I hope you know and understand that it's only by God's grace that you're standing today. And it's only by God's grace that you're able to call Him as Savior. Uh, It's only by God's grace that you're forgiven of sin. And we should never get over that. Uh, We should never forget uh, what the Lord saved us from. But I also want us to see that the Lord just didn't save you from something. I want you to understand, church, that God saved you for something as well. God has something to do with you. And God wants you to be useful uh, for his kingdom and for his glory. Uh, and you know, so often we say, well, I've done this or I'm not this. And you know, I think about Moses. Uh, you remember Moses' story when God showed up in a burning bush? Uh, And God said, Moses, take your shoes off or you're standing on holy ground. And then he commissioned Moses. And you know what? Moses came up with every excuse in the book. And you know what? God didn't take any. In fact, he said, you know what? I am that I am. And you tell him that. Because when... uh, He works through us. There's nothing that we can't accomplish in His strength. That's what Paul says in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I gave you an assignment last week. And, uh, Brother Bill, this is the last slide on my PowerPoint, so you're going to have to skip ahead for a minute. But we're coming back to it at the end. But John 3.16, I hope you memorized it. Uh, But I want us to say it together before we read uh, Philemon, uh, the letter. So if, uh, yeah, if you memorize it, you can say it from your, if you didn't memorize it, there it is. So uh, teachers won't do this for you, but the preacher will. 
so let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. And that is a verse that you ought to know by heart, friend, and I hope you do. Uh, if you said, you know what, I forgot to memorize that, then you spend this afternoon memorizing. It's only, I don't know, 20 words or so. Pretty easy to remember, but can I tell you, there's perhaps no other Bible truth that's more important for you to grasp and understand. Now, there's a lot of other truths in the Bible that you need to know and understand, but there's none so foundational and important for you to understand and know and live out as John 3.16. For God so loved the world, and that includes you, and that includes me, and includes all the whosoevers that live around us, and even those that we don't know. Jesus offers salvation to anyone, and when that salvation comes, it changes your life. Grace changes you. As we'll see in the example uh, from two fellows this morning. So let's look, beginning in verse 1, it says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Epipha and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have a great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you and owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. 
But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Artarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is Paul's shortest letter, and it's his most personal letter. Um, there are lots of interesting things about uh, these short verses, and uh, we have to, before we can look at and hear the, and understand what Paul wants to say to us this morning about grace and, and how it impacts our life and our concern and care for others, we have to understand uh, some background of the culture of the first century. They did not have local church buildings like we have today, this beautiful sanctuary. Uh, they met in people's homes. And they met in people's homes who tended to be very wealthy because wealthy folks tended to have the biggest houses. Uh, and so oftentimes, uh, wealthy folks that came to Christ opened their home and the church met there uh, every week. Um, and uh, Philemon was... Very wealthy. Uh, he was a businessman of some sort. We don't know exactly what, but one thing we do know about him, not only was he wealthy, and not only did a, a local church meet in his house, but we know that he was a believer in Christ and had been saved under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul you know, came and he preached um, many places, and many people came to Christ. And evidently Philemon was in one of those meetings. Now, another thing about the culture of the first century uh, that we need to understand is that uh, slaves are, were not slaves like we think of. They were not property that were bought and sold and taken against their will. Um, rather, they were people that had hired themselves, basically, to a family that was wealthy and say, listen, if you'll feed me, I say, hey, Rodney Holly, I'm poor and I can't pay much, but you know what? If you'll give me a bedroom, and Miss Holly's the good cook, let me tell you. You say, if you'll cook for me, you give me food, you know what? I will hire myself out to you, and, and you want that'll be my pay, is uh, room and board, so to speak. Um, and that's what this man Onesimus was. He had put himself under Philemon's uh, care, um, and for whatever reason, ran away. Well, the penalty in first century Roman world for a slave that ran away was death. The slave, the, the person who was, we might say the term owner, even though the Bible does not talk about people owning other people. Uh, all people are made in God's image uh, and are valuable and have worth. But the person who had been hired, the, the boss, if you will, had the right, if a slave had this debt that they owed, this obligation, and they failed to meet it, they could put him to death. And this was clearly done that. He ended up in, in Rome and encountered Paul. And through, through Paul's preaching, Onesimus became a Christian. 
He came to know God's grace. And so as him and Paul built this relationship together, he learned that Paul learned that Onesimus was a runaway slave. And Paul knew what that meant, but he also knew Philemon. Small world, didn't it? Uh, and so Paul sends Onesimus back with this letter uh, and reminding uh, Philemon and reminding Onesimus and reminding all of us today of three important truths about God's grace. And the first one is this, that grace changes our direction. When God's grace comes into your life, it changes you. It changes your priorities. It changes who you are and what you're about. God's grace changes our direction. Now I want you to think for a minute that Philemon, before he met Christ, was a very profitable business leader of whatever his business was. Um, He was very wealthy. And we can take for a moment thinking, and I don't think it's too much of a supposition to assume that life was about Philemon for Philemon. And not just simply because he was rich, but because he was human. And you know what? There's something true about every single human being. Is we've got a selfish bent built into us because of sin. Nobody has to teach a child to be selfish. And every one of us works our entire life to to try to rub that away. And become less and less selfish and more and more Christ-like. And that's what happened when Philemon met Christ. His life was changed. And yet he continued to be a profitable businessman. But now he also became a laborer for Christ. He became a, a partner for the gospel. And the church, he'd opened up the doors of his house for the church to meet. And became a leader within that community. Paul addresses him, and he's not just buttering up him up, but he calls him a, a fellow soldier, fellow worker. And Paul is telling him, you know what, because you know what, I'm your father in faith, so to speak. You know, I could just tell you, receive Onesimus back and don't do him any harm. But I'm not telling you and forcing you to do that. I'm asking you out of love and because you've experienced God's grace. And so Philemon's direction of his life was about money and stuff and power. And when God's grace came in, it was no longer about power and stuff. It was about Jesus. But Onesimus' life also changed direction. Very practically. 
He was running away. He ended up in Rome. He gets saved. And he's heading back home. The direction he was running from. Not because he wanted to. Not because he wasn't. I'm sure he was nervous about what Philemon was going to do. But grace had so changed his life that he no longer was afraid uh, or thought himself unworthy or anything like that. But he returned willingly to Philemon. And so it changed his direction. You know what? Grace changed the Apostle Paul, the man that wrote this. In Acts chapter 9, we find Paul going about, he'd gotten permission from the religious leaders to gather up Christians and bring them back to be persecuted and killed. And the Bible says that they were on the road to Damascus. And Paul and his company saw a great light. Paul was blinded. And scales came over his eyes and he heard a voice. And the voice was, Paul, why are you, why are you persecuting me? Why are you going against what I've told you who I am and what you're to be. And so Paul went from gathering up Christians to persecuting them to become one of the greatest church planners the world has ever known. God's grace changes your direction. Wherever you were when you found Jesus, you were headed in a very real way to hell. Because you were living in sin. And sin controlled your life. And sin is what motivated and what moved you. But when you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you found grace, guess what? Sin no longer drives you anymore. It no longer is your motivating force. Now, the grace of God and what God wants you to accomplish is what changes you. And so, grace will change the direction of your life. But then secondly, I want you to understand that grace not only changes our direction, but grace changes our desire. When you're lost, before you know the Lord, when you're living in sin, you think back to when that moment was, before you got saved, before you experienced grace. Did you desire to come to church? Did you desire to read the Bible? Did you desire to pray? No, you didn't. Because those are godly, spiritual desires that carnal people don't have. But guess what the Bible says is that when the Holy Spirit comes and changes your life and you experience God's grace, your desires change. So much so that Paul, had remember when we first meet him, he's desiring to round up Christians, put them in jail, and when we... Find Paul here in Philemon, 
He's in jail for his faith. He's not making prisoners. He is a prisoner. But I want us to understand something about why Paul was in prison. You read toward the end of the book of Acts. Paul stood before a Roman governor. And said, you know what? I don't see any reason for this man to be imprisoned. Let him go. And you know what Paul did? He said, I appeal to Caesar. And the governor said, you know what? To Caesar you've appealed, to Caesar you shall go. And he did end up in Rome. And won a lot of Roman people to Christ. And what a marvelous and a powerful thing that is to have our desire. So, friend, this asks this question, you know what? How do I know that I really have experienced grace? You know, if you've really have truly experienced grace, your desires are different than they used to be. You don't desire after the things of this world anymore like you used to do. You now desire the things of God. And you desire to be used of God. Philemon may have been a very generous person before he came to know the Lord. We don't know. But we do know he was very generous after he came to know the Lord. And though he didn't give up his business, he did give up his carnal desires. And instead of carousing and you know, having lavish, drunken parties at his house, the church met at his house now. And for how you can know that grace has come in and changed your life is if the things that you desire have changed. If you desire godly things, that means God's Spirit lives inside of you, and it means that you've known God's grace. But here's another thing. When you've experienced God's grace, guess what part of your, one of your desires, what happens when you've experienced God's grace and God's grace has redeemed you despite your sin, despite your selfishness, despite all your failings, when grace saves you and changes you, you want to become a grace dispenser. Because you understand that you didn't deserve God to come and die for you and then offer you new life. And give you blessing after blessing after blessing. You didn't deserve that. I don't deserve that. Nobody deserves that. And yet God gives it. And he gives it freely. And guess what? Jesus said this. He said, if, as you have freely received, freely give. And one of the things that if God has changed your life and you really have experienced grace... You desire to dispense God's grace. Especially to those that don't deserve it. 
Because if you only give grace when it's deserved, it's not grace that you're giving. It's grace when the person doesn't deserve it. Maybe even when they don't even ask for it. Maybe it's just simply being kind to someone who's not been kind to you. Maybe it's helping somebody that's not helped you. You see, God's grace changes you. And it changes everything about you including your desires. And so while Onesimus desired freedom and he desired to get away from Philemon, when God's grace came and changed his life, he desired to do what was right and desired to go back to Philemon. And he does. And I suspect, we, we don't know the end of the story, but we suspect, and I, I, because Paul tells us what kind of man Philemon was, that when Onesimus got back and Philemon gave, received this letter from Onesimus, and Paul reminds Philemon of how God's grace had changed him, and how he would receive that free gift of grace. And now he had an opportunity to extend that grace to someone. So much so, listen, that he said, Listen, Philemon is not only, you not only receive him in the flesh, but you receive him as, in spirit as well, that he is your brother. Not only in the flesh, but in the spirit, that he is your Christian brother. And you treat him like that. We trust that that's what happened. But again, that's speculation. But I think, you know, grounded speculation. He said, you know what? Yeah, I want to get away. I want to do my own thing. I want to be out from under Philemon's thumb. But grace had come into his life. He said, you know what? I need to go back and fulfill my obligations. And then lastly, grace not only changes our direction and it not only changes our desires, but it changes our destiny. Grace changed who Paul was. So, so his name changed from Saul of Tarsus to Paul, who became one of the greatest missionary church planners and Bible writers. Paul wrote more parts of the New Testament than anyone else. Did he set out in his young age thinking he was going to be a missionary that was beaten for his faith and chased out of numerous towns and imprisoned and beaten and would write a lot of what would become God's word in the New Testament? No, he didn't. But that's what he was destined for. A cool part of this story is this, that the word anisimus in Greek means useful. 
And Paul says, you know what? Onesimus was not very useful to you, Philemon. He ran away. But now you give him an opportunity to be useful. And useful not only to you, but useful to me. And useful to the kingdom of God. Someone that was so down and out on their luck and in life that they had to hire themselves for a room and board was now not only a child of the king and a joint heir with Christ, but he was useful for the kingdom of God. No matter what your shortcomings are, what you feel you're not good at, or what you can't do, God sees what you can do. And you know what God says to you, and He says to me, you know what, I'd rather you be an Onesimus. I want you to be useful for the kingdom of God. And do you know something? You can't be useful for the kingdom of God unless you've experienced God's grace. It's only when we come to salvation and we grow in our relationship with Christ that we realize and find that you know what? We weren't made for this world. And this world is not our home. We're we're just passing through. We were made for eternity. And we are on a journey there. But God has given us opportunity to know Him and to serve Him and to love Him and to help others come to know Him while we're here on this earth. So that just as our destiny is changed, theirs can be too. And that's where again John 3.16 comes to play in this picture. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, when you experience God's grace, your destiny changes from condemnation to eternal life in heaven. Your destination changes from sinner to saint. And child of God, don't you ever forget that. Don't you for a moment think that you're too good to do something that God's asked you to do. And don't you for a minute think that you're better than someone else and you don't need to tell them and share. Say, well, I'll share God's love with these people over here, but not those people over there. Don't you dare do that. You understand that nobody that you encounter deserves the gospel any less or any more than you do. But here's the cool thing. Because you know what a train wreck you were before you met Christ. And you knew how, what your destination was before you met Christ. It was hell. It was perishing. It was eternal torment. But you found grace. And so you're not destined for eternal torment. You're destined for eternal glory. And Paul reminds us. He reminds Philemon. He reminded Onesimus. He reminded John Mark and the others that were with him. 
that, you know what, your journey is toward eternity in heaven. But while you're on earth, you're marching to that destination. And on the way, God gives you an opportunity to be grace dispensers. God gives you an opportunity to be, to be useful for God Almighty and for His kingdom and for this world. And so when people encounter you, would they look at you and say, you know what, there's useful. Or they would say, you know what, that's a waste of space right there. And sadly, there are some Christians and there are some churches that are full of unuseful beings. I pray that your life and this church will be full of useful beings. That will be useful in the dispensing of God's grace. That we will grow and continually to realize and understand that God's grace has changed our life. And that we come to the realization that, hey, listen, if God can change me and I can have God's grace, then God's grace is available to anyone. I've actually had people say, you know what, preacher? Yeah, you say God loves and God forgives, but you don't know what I've done. And here's the thing. You know what, I don't know what you've done, but God does. And when God says whosoever, that means you. And that means me, that means everyone. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, it's only those that think that they're so far gone and that they've just done too much. They're the ones that really understand what God's grace is all about. And so Paul says to Philemon, don't you forget about how God's grace came into your life when you didn't deserve it. And so you share, you dispense God's grace to others when you have opportunity to do so. You be useful. How about that Philemon, the one that was the master, the one that was the boss of Onesimus? Paul says to him, you be useful, Philemon. You be an Onesimus, just as Onesimus is supposed to be an Onesimus. How about that? That can only happen by the power of grace working in a person's life. And can I tell you that that power wants to work in your life? God wants you to know His grace and His mercy. He doesn't want you just to sing that wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound that saved a wretch like me. He wants you to know it and live it firsthand. And I pray that you do. But here's the thing. If you have lived and you are living that amazing grace, that's the story of your life, and that's how you're trying to live your life with God's help, here's the thing. That grace that you've experienced, that you found so amazing, if you really have encountered it and you really experience it, you will dispense it to others. Paul gives this command in the book of Colossians. He said, Forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. 
What he's saying is you extend grace to others the way that Christ extended grace to you. Because you've been a receiver of God's grace. And don't you dare forget it. And because you don't forget it, you be a dispenser of grace. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your goodness and your love to us. We thank you for that amazing grace that comes and saves a wretch like me. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the wonderful and beautiful story of Philemon and Onesimus. And Lord, our prayer is that every one of us would be useful for your kingdom and for your glory. God, use us as only you can do. Lord, so often we don't see ourselves as very useful, but by your grace, we are what we are. Changed. Never more the same. Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know that free grace, may they come to receive that free gift today by simply calling out to you, acknowledging their sin and receiving that wonderful gift of salvation. But Lord, maybe there's one of your children here today and it's not just been a message of a reminder and encouragement to, uh, about your grace and how we have it in our life, but maybe you have challenged some of us here today that you know what, I have experienced God's grace, but I've been keeping it to myself. My dispenser button's been inoperative for a while and I've not been very useful in God's kingdom. But you know what? I want to take the little bit that I can do. And I want to do it with gusto and grace. I want to extend grace to others the way God extends grace to me. Help us to be people known by grace. Lord, it's hard sometimes to dispense grace. But Lord, help us to be ready and willing to do that. That we can shine brightly for you. And that other lives can be changed by the amazing grace that our life has been changed by. Help us, we pray, to be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand together, my friend. If God spoke to your heart and there's a decision you need to make today. Maybe it's that you've never really trusted. You've never received this great grace. Today would be the time for you to receive it. Today would be the day for you to become the next comeback kid. But maybe you're here today and you are saved. And you have known God's amazing grace. But you know what? Your dispenser button's been broken or inoperative for a little while. You know what God says today? It's time to unplug the broken dispenser. It's time to let grace flow through you the way that God's grace moves in you. Let's sing together. If God's put your heart as a decision,